What's up, everybody? Connor coming at you here from the editing bay. Before you go into this episode, just wanted to let you know that there will be major spoilers for both Collateral and Dark City if you listen to this. And I think I can speak for Parth when I would say that going into these movies blind would be best. So we would both recommend that you watch the movies beforehand if you are able to. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 12 of As Of Yet Unnamed. Hope you're doing well. I'm Park. Uh, with me here is Karn. Hey, everyone. And today's episode is the first episode in a new series where Connor and I each pick a movie to watch. And uh, we watch the movie and basically just talk about what we thought of the movie. I think we'll call this, this series Head to Head. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So this time, I picked a movie uh, called Collateral for my movie uh, for this episode. Just to introduce the movie, it was released in 2004. It's directed by Michael Mann, and it was written by Stuart Beatty. And it stars Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Mark Ruffalo. I guess to give a little synopsis of the movie... It's basically about a cab driver, played by Jamie Foxx, who finds himself a hostage of a, uh, a contract killer uh, who takes a ride from him. Uh, he's one of his customers. This contract killer, who's play, played by Tom Cruise, forces him to go to different stops around L.A. Basically, he's driving him to uh, his hits that he's supposed to kill. So there's like five total uh, locations he's supposed to drive to uh, for Tom Cruise's character to kill these marks that he has. So yeah, it all takes place over basically over one night in Los Angeles. A good bit of that is also inside this cab that Jamie Foxx, his character, is driving. This is definitely a movie I haven't seen before. Uh, I hadn't actually even heard of it until you brought it up uh, for watching it tonight. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought that the the look of the movie was pretty cool. It had a lot of cinematography that really kept you in the action. Lots of like narrow, close shots of the characters, especially in the cab, kind of like placing you as the viewer inside the cab with them, as well as some like big, broad, sweeping shots of Los Angeles at night that looked pretty nice. I feel like the pacing of the movie was pretty well done. It kind of sets up Jamie Foxx's character a little bit at the beginning. And then once he picks up Tom Cruise as his next fare for his cab, uh, it really doesn't stop until the end. It just pretty pretty steadily moves from beat to beat to beat without really dragging at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I did also really like the music, the original score. A lot of the music I thought was really well done. It had kind of like this uh, almost noir-esque modern sound uh, with lots of uh, kind of noisy guitar parts. Uh, to like overlay over like strings and piano. Uh, I know jazz comes up within the movie itself. The, at one point, the characters go to a jazz club, and the the original score had this kind of like freeform improvisational sound to it uh, that I thought kind of complemented uh, that part of the story pretty well. And mm-hmm. overall, I thought it was a pretty pretty good movie. Nice. I I mean I've seen this movie before, but yeah, I still really like it. Yeah, I agree with you that. Uh, I really like the cinematography in the movie, just the way everything's shot. Uh, I really like some of the shots of L.A. at night. looks pretty cool. 
Yeah, just kind of... I like the, just the feel of the movie. Like, it's pretty much a thriller. Uh, but I feel like there's some, like, neo-noir kind of elements, too. Just because, like, it's all, like, shot at night for the most part. Just, like, everything kind of uh, looks kind of muted, I guess. There's, like, muted colors. Yeah, just the general feel of the movie, I think, is kind of neo-noir-ish. Yeah, I also, I really like the music in the movie. The score is pretty good. Yeah, I really like the, the characters, I feel like, are very well kind of fleshed out. Mainly Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, their characters. Tom Cruise plays Vincent and Jamie Foxx plays Max. I just really like their dynamic and how they kind of butt heads and have to have to kind of work together. But, you know, Max obviously is doing it unwillingly. And then also to talk about a, the, a couple other characters, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is in the movie who plays, uh, well, she she's a, another fair of Max's who's at the beginning of the movie who he picks up uh, before Vincent. Uh, and then she shows up again at the end where it turns out that Vincent's final uh, target is is her. So uh, Max has to go save her basically at the end. So she sh shows up again. And then there's also a cop character played by Mark Ruffalo who is investigating everything going on. And he kind of catches on to what what's going on with Max and how he's been taken hostage. You kind of see him, you know, trying to solve the case and investigate everything. And uh, eventually he actually catches up with Max and Vincent. And he he looks like he's rescuing Max. At, uh, it's basically, basically at one of the nightclubs where uh, one of the targets is. But then Vincent just ends up shooting that cop character and killing him right there. And uh, Max doesn't get saved and... <laughs> yeah, that uh, that whole set piece with the nightclub I thought was really well done. The way it kind of leads up to it, it pulls together the cops and the FBI who are like working this whole drug ring that all of these hits are related to. So that you have the cops and the FBI converging on this nightclub location because through this series of events they're able to figure out that's where the next hit's going to be. And at that point they're under the impression that Jamie Foxx's character Max is actually the hitman. Yeah. Um, so you have Vincent and Max going to this nightclub. You have the cops and the FBI going to this nightclub. And you also have the gang that's running all these drugs also going to the nightclub. And it sets up this kind of really tense, suspenseful set piece of all three of these groups converging on this one place and being inside amongst each other and not really knowing it until eventually everything, you know, breaks down and there's a big gunfight and everything. I feel like... The, the shooting of the movie really did that part justice in terms of making it feel really cramped uh, when you're before the shootout happens with all these people packed in this club and having these like real close shots of all the different characters you've seen kind of moving in amongst each other before eventually the gunfight breaks out and it becomes really chaotic with everybody running everywhere. Almost kind of hard to keep track of, which I feel like was intentional due to like the whole setup of the whole scene. Yeah. But I think that was probably the standout scene in the movie for me was that whole sequence. Yeah, that was a really good scene. Pretty hectic scene. Like you said, a lot of different characters. And it was a very, very crowded nightclub. And then eventually there's this big shootout, which was pretty cool. I I really like what they did with uh, Mark Ruffalo's character, the cop. Because, like, 
probably for the first half of the movie, you see him um, going to like different crime scenes and slowly figuring out what's going on. And he's like a pretty smart character. Um, and you feel like, you know, maybe he'll be the one to rescue Max. But then it ends up with him just being shot you know, very quickly. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a very sudden thing where he he's leading Max's character out of the nightclub, out onto the street. But then out on the street, uh, Vincent is waiting for them. And he just shoots uh, the cop and then they go off in the taxi. He, he takes Max hostage again. So it's I, I almost feel like it's subverted, subverted ex expectations a little bit. Because like there's there's this kind of big kind of build up with him. But then he just kind of dies and he's not in the rest of the movie. Yeah. I thought that was pretty well done. It definitely, on first viewing for me, it definitely did have that subversion. I was almost expecting the final act of the movie to be, because of that scene, the way it plays out up to the end when Mark Ruffalo just gets shot and lift and he's just out of the movie. I was almost expecting him and Max to be working together to try to stop Vincent from completing Vincent's mission. Mm. And uh, it turns out that no, uh, that's definitely not the case. Yeah. And I thought that was a really nice kind of twist on expectations because it really does set up uh, his character in such a way that you think he's going to be like a major part of the third act and he dies at the end of the second act. Right. So something else I also like about the movie is they make the characters like smart. Vincent and Max specifically, like they make smart decisions because like, a lot of times in movies, I feel like characters do things that you're like, why, why would you do that? Or why wouldn't you do this? You know, they just make like not the brightest choices. But in this movie, like there are multiple times when Max has opportunities to escape that he like tries to use. Vincent also kind of is a smart character in that he tries to prevent Max from from escaping like he zip ties his hands to the steering wheel when he leaves the cab so it's just like i don't know well written because they make like smart characters and they've made smart characters in the movie yeah there, um, there's no real plot holes that i could pick up on like you said they they really do write it in such a way that it makes sense for max to still be with vincent like, Vincent is obviously set up as, like, this hyper-intelligent sociopath, and he thinks of everything that Max would be trying to do to escape and prevents it. But what Max thinks of is something that anybody would think of. Like, it's where you, your mind goes when you're watching the movie. Like, oh, when he leaves the cab, he'll run and go get help. But then right as Vincent's leaving the cab, he zip-ties his hands to the steering wheel. Yeah. So uh, just lots of little things like that that do build the characters up uh, in such a way to, like, make them feel believable and realistic and not, you know, like over-the-top action movie cliches. They feel like more grounded, realistic depictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the pacing in the movie was really solid. I feel like there wasn't any fat, like there weren't any scenes that dragged or anything. Uh, the movie moved at a pretty steady pace. Also, the action was pretty good. Like, it's not a like heavily action movie. You know, there isn't a heavy action. But... The action that was there was pretty well choreographed, like that shootout scene we mentioned, or uh, at one point Max deliberately crashes the cab so that he can escape, and that was pretty cool. It was like a good crash scene, so that was handled well. 
I did think it was interesting when it's first starting out and you don't really know what Vincent is up to. You don't actually see him commit any of the murders you know, like on the hits that he's been tasked with. Like the first hit, you just see the guy hit the windshield. He like falls out of a window out of a building and slams down onto the cab. But you see that whole scene from uh, Max's perspective. You're not actually up in the room watching Vincent kill the guy. And the same thing with the second hit. It doesn't even, it just shows the guy that he's going to kill. He receives a phone call and he gets up and walks down the stairs. And then you learn later that he's dead. Right. right. And I thought that was kind of nice that they didn't spend too much time on the killing scenes for the targets and instead tried to focus more on like the dynamic between the characters. I thought that was nice. Right. Yeah, that's true. They didn't really focus on the killings too much. If you went into this movie blind, when you see that guy, the first guy that Vincent kills fall on the cab, I I imagine it would be kind of a shock because like, uh, you know, it's not hinted that he's like a killer or anything before you just find out then. Mm-hmm. So that was a good good way to show it. I feel like the the dialogue between Vincent and Max is also pretty well written. Like in the cab, uh, they both kind of... I feel like they you get to explore their characters more through their dialogue. Like Vincent kind of asks Max... Why is he still driving a cab after like 12 years? 12 years he's been like a part-time cab driver and he's had this dream of starting his own limo company but he hasn't really taken any steps to like work towards that and you can kind of see that I guess Max like lacks motivation and he's just kind of like stuck in this place in life where he's like he's driving the cab but He's not really taking steps toward his dream. And then Max kind of pokes at Vincent and, you know, says, I mean, he's a sociopath, basically, and he doesn't really have, like, empathy or anything that, you know, a normal person would have. And so in that way, I think, like, Vincent also lacks purpose in his life. Like, his purpose is just, like, killing whoever he gets hired to kill but beyond that he doesn't have any like motivation or like meaning so i guess in a way they're both kind of lacking like purpose in life so that was sort of interesting yeah i thought it was pretty interesting because when it introduces jamie fox's idea of having this limo company it's with the exchange with jada pinkett smith at the very beginning when she's in the cab And he's talking about how he has this dream of starting this limo company for, like, high-end clientele uh, where, you know, it's an experience. And, you know, once you get where you're going, you're not going to want to get out because that's how nice it is. And in that same exchange, they talk about vacation. And he's like, he tells Jada Pinkett-Smith, you need a vacation. She tells him he needs to take a vacation. And he's like, oh, I do every 12 times a day. And he's got a little picture of, like, a tropical island in his uh, visor in his car. But, you know, he's just fantasizing about going there. He's not actually going there. And at the same time, later in the movie, it shows him flipping through, like, a high-end luxury sedan catalog. Again, showing that he's fantasizing about this company, but he's not actually doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And then later, you kind of realize, even though it's kind of been hinted at, that he doesn't actually, you know, he's not going anywhere towards this. He's just been driving this cab for 12 years. And it's just like like a fantasy of his to have this company. 
but he's not actually making any progress towards it. I thought that whole kind of character development with him was really well set up. Because you go into the movie and learn about it thinking that, oh, you know, he's part-time, he's actually making business moves and starting his own company and everything. And later you find out, no, that's not the case at all. That's just what he tells people. He's right. even lying to his old mother about it. Yeah. I thought that was uh, a, a really well-done, like, character moment, uh, kind of fleshing out who he is, giving him more depth uh, as a character. Yeah. The characters definitely feel like not two-dimensional they feel kind of fleshed out i will say that i did feel kind of let down by the third act mm. i feel like the ending is not as strong as the rest of the movie oh yeah the whole ending sequence with him realizing that jada pinkett smith is the final target and going to save her i thought that whole sequence was technically well done i just feel like it wasn't as impactful as the finale could have been to the rest of the story I don't, I don't, it just didn't it didn't have the same impact for me as the, the first two acts did right yeah I can see that it kind of turns into like a, it's just like a big chase scene at the end which is pretty different from the rest of the movie which is Vincent and Max are together in close proximity and a lot of it is kind of like the dialogue and dynamic between them which yeah, I guess I also enjoyed more. And I, I guess I think the ending was a bit abrupt. Because, like, it kind of ends with just Max shooting Vincent uh, to save Jada Pinkett Smith's character. And Vincent, like, dies on the train. I guess it would have been nice to see maybe a bit more impactful ending. The ending, I feel like, is definitely where some of the believability drops for me. Like, I realize they're running around L.A. at this point in the movie at, like, 4 or 5 in the morning. But it's, like, completely empty. They're the only people that exist in the movie at this point. There's no there's no bystanders or anything. And they're running around waving guns and all this stuff. And it really doesn't have any consequences because there's nobody else there. Even though Vincent, at the beginning of Act 3, handcuffs a cop and takes his gun. Or doesn't take his gun, but disarms him and handcuffs him so that he can go try to save Jada Pinkett Smith after the cop has already radioed in this whole incident of the cab crashing and everything. Um, so it feels like at least the police should have been involved in some way. There should have been, like, bystanders to, like, add to, like, the believability of the world. Yeah. And, like, the entire train uh, sequence at the end, uh, there's, like, what, one other passenger? Like, an old yeah, woman? Yeah, there is, like, one other passenger. <laughs> and the driver of the train doesn't notice this huge shootout that happens right behind <laughs> him. He just drives off in the train like nothing happened. Yeah. And, yeah, at the same time, it's also, like, Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett Smith, I, I realize they've been through, like, a traumatic, traumatic thing, but uh, Jamie Foxx is still, like, the prime suspect in, like, the law's eyes. Because yeah. the one detective that was on his side is dead. So why would he not, like, make more of an effort to prove that Vincent was the actual killer and not him? He just lets Vincent's dead body ride off on the train to who knows where while him and Jada Pekin Smith go out, go off into the sunset together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the ending was definitely let down for me. But I feel like the rest of the movie does a pretty good job of holding it up. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't think about that, actually. That's a good point. Like, uh... I feel like, I mean, when they're running around um, at L.A. at the end, I mean, I know it's like 5 a.m., but the streets are, like, empty, like, literally. Like, they're the only people out. And I feel like 
some other people would be out even at that time and in a city like that yeah and there would be like witnesses and you know people would be like panicking or something or around the train too like there like there would have been a few more passengers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And also, I feel like, I mean, you see uh, Max shoot Vincent in the face when he first goes to confront him at the office where uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character works. It looked like he got shot pretty bad, but he didn't seem very phased by it. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like he shoots him in, like, the neck. Yeah. And I guess it's just supposed to have grazed him because he gets back up and, like, nothing happened. He yeah. just goes and chases after them. But there's, like, a lot of blood. Yeah. It looks like a fairly serious gunshot injury. Right. But he just get, he's like the Terminator. It kind of reminded me of the Terminator at that point. Yeah. He's just, like, this unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he really hasn't been set up that way. He, he was set up more as, like, this highly intelligent, thoughtful, like, sociopath who would think ahead of time to, like, you know, ensure that what he wanted to happen, happen. Right. And he was, like, he was, like, highly skilled... And with like a gun and like close combat, but he wasn't invulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I guess there was one other scene in the movie that I thought was kind of interesting. I saw like an analysis of it online or something. Like at one point, Max and Vincent are in the cab, and Max like stops at a, a red light, and like a couple of wolves cross the street, and uh, they both just kind of look at the wolves. I saw an interesting, like, analysis online where it said Vincent kind of, like, sees himself in the wolf because they're both kind of, like, predators who, like, like roam the city at night and they're both kind of, like, lone wolves, <laughs> yeah. you know, which I thought was interesting and that it made sense to me. So. Yeah, that's how I saw that scene. It was like the wolves were like a reflection of them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was kind of the takeaway I took from that. Ah. It was kind of strange. It felt like almost like a scene out of a different movie. Oh, like a uh, very artsy and like metaphorical, for <laughs> lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of the movie is like very straightforward and direct. It was nice. I thought it was a nicely executed scene. And like the point comes across. It just kind yeah. of felt weird <laughs> to have this <laughs> sudden break for like two minutes for this scene with the wolves to walk in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> And then right after that, there's this, like, montage, basically, of them, like, driving around and, like, shots of the city and the cops are also, like, following his cab and, like, there's an audio slave song that plays over it. Yeah, it w- that part, I guess, was, like, a little different from the rest of the movie. Yeah. I, I definitely, I think, in terms of the music, I think I would have preferred them to have more of a ri- more original music. I didn't particularly like any of the licensed tracks they used. I feel like they kind of date the movie (laughs) in a way that it wouldn't otherwise be dated. Outside of like the the look of like the cell phones and stuff obviously look like they're from 2004. Right. But um, I feel like the movie would have benefited from having more original score to put over that part instead of having an audio slave song play. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is very much like a 2000s movie. Like you can't really mistake it from the look of the cell phones and just like the technology that they're using the audio slave song (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right and we're going to conclude this part of the episode 
where we talk about the scores the movie has online and then give our personal score, what we think of it. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 86% critic score, 84% audience score. It has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb and a 3.51 out of 5 on Reach Your Music. Oh, interesting. So what, what would you give it? So, so I really like the movie. I think it's one of the better thrillers I've seen, and I'm definitely a thriller fan. So I'll probably go with like an 8.3 out of 10. That's fair. Uh, I'd probably give it myself probably between a 7 and a 7.5 and out of 10. I feel like the ending kind of dragged it down from what otherwise would have been like a eight or eight and a half for me. Oh. But it was it, the first two thirds of the movie are really well done and mm. definitely worth watching, even if the ending isn't as strong, in my opinion. I got you. That's fair, yeah. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, this director, Michael Mann, uh, I've heard he has this other movie he directed called Heat. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. Yeah, I've heard that's really good. It's from like 1995. Yeah, I've never watched it, but I've heard it's supposed to be really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll watch that someday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and moving on to the second film for this episode of Head to Head. Uh, For my pick, I decided to keep with the modern noir, neo-noir thriller vibe that we got from Collateral. And my choice was Dark City. It came out in 1998. It was directed by Alex Proyas, uh, who might be more well-known as the director of The Crow. Uh, It was also written by Alex Proyas, uh, Lynn Dobbs, and David S. Goyer, who uh, I believe David S. Goyer worked on the Nolan Batman trilogy as a writer. So uh, some, some pretty decent names attached to this one. Stars Rufus Sewell as John Murdoch, Kiefer Sutherland as Dr. Daniel Schreber, and Jennifer Connelly as Emma Murdoch. Alright, and this is a movie that deals a lot with, like, memory, and how memory makes you a person. Uh, the, the gist of the movie is that Mr. John Murdoch awakes and doesn't remember who he is. He has no memory of his past. Uh, and he's in this strange, very dark world that almost seems out of time. I didn't remember a whole bunch of it going back into it for this watch. But I did enjoy it. I think it definitely has some problems, but overall I do enjoy like the themes of the movie and like the overall plot. I think some of the acting was a little rough in parts, for, especially from the leading man. I think he does a good job overall, but some parts I feel like he he's not the best actor for the role. Also the editing I thought was kind of weird in places. It was very quick cut, very fast paced editing. It was almost hard to keep track of. Uh, and it happened enough to where it must have been like an artistic choice, but I don't really know what the point of it was. Some of the scenes, especially at the beginning as he's running through all the buildings and stuff, uh, have like very quick cuts with like very short scene, like very short cuts that are almost hard to keep track of. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. Much like Collateral, I think the ending is a little weak. For me, I had never seen this movie before. I had heard the name Dark City. And I'd heard it being compared to The Matrix. I did like the movie overall. Definitely, like, there is a... I feel like it's it's definitely a neo-noir movie, like, through and through. I feel like Collateral, it, it was more kind of like neo-noir, like, undertones, I guess. But this was, like, like straight neo-noir, I feel like. 
But uh, I thought like the plot was pretty interesting uh, in general. And also like the design of the city I thought was kind of cool. Like uh, it definitely felt a little like old fashioned. Just the design of like the technology they were using. It was kind of like old timey. But then there was also like other stuff that felt almost like futuristic I guess. It was it was kind of like a retro futuristic setting I guess. And so that was pretty like a cool design. And then yeah just overall I thought the plot was like pretty engaging uh, throughout. Uh, it sets up a good like mystery with like just uh, John trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Yeah I I would agree with you that I feel like the ending, like, final battle was a little disappointing. The battle between John and, like, I guess the leader of that hive mind. It's just, they really are just, like, hitting each other with, like, brain waves. Yeah. And... <laughs> uh, it's just them it's... staring at each other for, like, <laughs> ten minutes straight. Yeah. While CGI waves fly out of their foreheads. Right. And then they, like ascend above the city and then he pretty much kills the bad guy yeah <laughs> but i don't know it just i don't think it was like super exciting or anything it was okay yeah definitely could have been executed a lot better with like the whole premise they had going on i feel like mm -hmm. if this was a newer movie uh with maybe cgi having been developed more as it is nowadays that final battle could have been something a lot cooler yeah. But with considering this was 1998, um, I think that was maybe just the best they could come up with. Yeah. But even then, it feels kind of weak. So. Mm. Yeah, the CGI was rough, but like, it's like what you would expect with the movie from 1998. Like, it looks like a movie from 1998. Yeah. Yeah, I do like the very ending where like he kind of creates a new world with like water surrounding the whole city you know he flips the world so that you know the sun comes out that was pretty cool and then when he like walks through the door and like i guess creates shell beach you see like you know the world outside the city it's all like bright now with like the sun's out and then the water you know at the beach that was pretty cool it was like a very stark contrast to like the rest of the city i mean the rest of the movie which you know was very dark and almost like a different color palette yeah the yeah, previously to that the whole movie takes place at night uh so the city's always like shrouded in darkness with lots of those like harsh kind of noir shadows that you would expect and at, at one point before the ending it, it even shows outside the city and it's just like space like it just you break a wall and it just goes out to nothingness so it was kind of a cool contrast there at the end to see him, you know, like you say, flip it so that the sun starts shining and then have this, you know, almost uh, Earth-like view at the very end of uh, him and his wife, quotation marks, <laughs> yeah. Stand, standing on a pier looking out at the ocean and the beaches in the distance and everything. Uh, because the Shell Beach had kind of been a recurring motif in the whole movie as like this collective memory of everybody in the city but nobody could remember where it was or how to get there and uh it was kind of cool to see him realize that and you know actually create it as a place that all these people could then go to there is also like a cop 
character in the movie that originally is like hunting John Murdoch, but then like he realizes there's something more going on and like joins him to try to like get some answers and like I'm pretty sure what at one point uh, he just gets like pushed out into space, right? Yeah. That was like the end of his character. Yeah. He basically yeah. just dies trying to get answers to all this. Yeah. Yeah. He's like fighting with uh, one of the bad guys and they just end up being like knocked out into space. Yeah, they just float <laughs> off into nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting because like, I guess much like Collateral with the cop character in that movie, his part just kind of ends at the end of the second act. And he dies, and, like, I was expecting him to be, like, a major character throughout, but, yeah, he just dies. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an interesting parallel. The the cop character in both of these movies uh, has a very kind of unceremonious end to their character arc. Yeah. Uh, neither one of them makes it to, like, the, fin- the finale of their respective movies. Also, there's this uh, doctor character in the movie that... Uh, I think you mentioned, uh, uh, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Doctor Daniel Shriver is his character name. Yeah, he's the guy that like the bad guys are like using to fabricate all the memories and like imprint them into the people. Yeah. Uh, so he he um, one thing I noticed about him that I thought was interesting was the way he talked. It seemed like he had a weird the pattern where. He spoke sentences in, like, little phrases. Like, he would say only, like, two or three words at a time. Yeah. And then pause and then continue. Yeah. 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 It was a very uh, distinct way of speaking that only his character had. I'm not sure what exactly was supposed to imply about him. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. The whole whole premise of the movie is that uh, these, uh, this evil race of this hive mind bad guy people... They're basically just fabricating memories to implant into people to, like, observe how these implanted memories affect people because they're searching for the human soul, basically. They feel like if they can find out what the soul is, then they can use that to keep themselves from dying out because they're, like, on that brink of extinction or something to that effect. And, uh, yeah, the Doctor character, he is allowed to keep his memories as a Doctor, but they force him to, like, erase the rest of his memories. So he only has memories of him as a doctor. But he's not... His reward for doing so is he's not stuck in this cycle where he's having his memories reset and, you know, kind of living out this purgatory of being a different person for forever, basically. Just living a million different lives in this isolated city that doesn't really exist anywhere. It's just mm-hmm. out in space as, like, a testing ground. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the uh, the themes of the movie I thought were pretty interesting, like the idea of you know thought creating reality. That's a pretty prevalent theme. It's it's ultimately what John Murdoch uses to defeat the bad guys. The bad guys' special power is that they are able to just basically will whatever they want into reality, and they do this. They change the layout of the city at at will. You know they can force people to go to sleep just by waving their hand in front of their face, and the whole arc of John Murdoch is basically realizing what's going on and gaining that power for himself in order to free everyone from the reign of these people. Right. 
I thought that was kind of an interesting theme, like more like a philosophical idea uh, that they kind of explore within the movie. I thought that was kind of interesting. And like you said, I, I, I did enjoy the visuals of the movie. Just the overall look I thought was pretty interesting. Kind of like you were talking about how the city has aspects of like the past and also like futuristic aspects. It really gives it a, like a very unique visual design that I can't really compare to any other movie that I can think of off the top of my head. Right. I will say too that uh, I can definitely see why people compare it to The Matrix. Although I believe this actually came out first. I think The Matrix came out in 1999, if I'm remembering right. But I, I do think that overall, it's mostly just superficial comparisons. I think, like, thematically, the two movies are very different. Uh, as well as, just like, as a film, this is much more of, like, a mystery thriller uh, with this, like, sci-fi noir aesthetic. Uh, whereas The Matrix is more of, like, a sci-fi action movie with lots of gunfights and, you know, kind of defined a generation of action movies. Mm. Uh, whereas this is definitely not that. Yeah. You know, there's not, like, a single shootout or, like, fist fight, really, in the whole movie. It's very much just following the character arc of John Murdoch as he discovers all this stuff. Uh, and your first time watching the movie, you're going to be learning all this with him as he figures it out. It doesn't really spoon-feed you any of the information. You, you kind of have to follow the movie as it goes to learn about this whole world that the movie takes place in. And I do. I, I like movies where they you know, force you to like learn about the world as the characters learn about it, rather than having, you know, like a uh, like a title crawl like Star Wars, where it like lays the whole universe out for you in like a two paragraphs that play before the movie starts. Right. I, I definitely prefer the way that this movie goes about it. And just to mention as well, we did watch the director's cut, uh, which I mentioned in part before we started recording. Uh, there's some pretty significant differences if I understand correctly between the theatrical and the director's cut. Although I don't know what they are. I've never actually watched the theatrical cut. I've only ever seen the director's cut. So. Mm -hmm. Most people seem online seem to prefer the director's cut pretty heavily. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought the the ending was satisfying. Basically, he's able to like unlock the full potential of his powers and basically take down the bad guys and like create a world that you know of his design and free people from like the constant cycle of you know getting new memories. It was a solid ending, and then. uh it's kind of, I guess, left a little open-ended about, like, what would happen next. But I think you get enough of, like, a conclusion, like, uh, and, like, closure to the, the plot. Yeah. This movie left me uh, feeling more satisfied, I would say, than Collateral. Collateral, I think, as we talked about, has an ending where I have a lot of, like, questions. <laughs> like, you know, it, it ends almost too soon, where you're left wondering about things that are about to happen. Uh, you know, if the movie were to go on, they would be just about to happen. But yeah. the movie just ends. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, I feel like, manages to wrap up all of its ideas and its character arcs pretty succinctly with the ending, while also still leaving a little bit left for you to wonder about uh, mm -hmm. going forward. But you don't have any, like, major questions or, you know, like, what? How, how is that the ending? You don't have any of that kind of feeling, I don't think, with this movie. Yeah. Also, uh, I did like the sequence at the end where he, like, creates all the water around the world. It just shows, like, uh, water coming out of, like, like pipes or something from the edges of the world and creating a little, like, 
mini ocean, I guess, yeah. around it. it. That that was a cool sequence. Yeah. Yeah, lots of very cool-looking, like, visual sequences in this movie, I think. And, like, the, the shots uh, throughout the movie, when the bad guys would, like, redesign the city, you would have shots, like, scale, swooping shots of the city as, like, new buildings come up. Or, like, buildings, like, push together to form one big building. And uh, I thought those those sequences were pretty cool as well. There's even one uh, cool little shot where, like, one of the bad guys gets caught on a fire exit on the side of a building as another building is coming to, like, merge with it. He gets, like, squished in between the two buildings. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, overall, definitely a movie I think I'd recommend. Especially if you're into, like, noir. I feel like this is, like you say, pretty through and through a noir-tinged, influenced movie. But yeah, even if you're into just like mystery thrillers, I feel like this is a pretty solid watch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Some like sci-fi in there also. Yeah, overall, I definitely like the movie. Not like perfect, I would say. No, it's not a perfect (laughs) movie, but definitely enjoyable. Yeah, and yeah, I would recommend it uh, if you like, like you said, like mystery movies or like noir type movies. Alright, so uh, we're going to wrap up this like we did with Collateral uh, with the ratings. Uh, on IMDb, Dark City has a 7.6 out of 10. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 76% critic and an 85% audience score. And on Rate Your Music, it is at a 3.47 out of 5. Uh, for me, I think I would probably give this movie around solid like 7 to 7.5. Yeah. Again, kind of like with Collateral, I feel like the ending sequence drags down the rating for me. It could have probably been an 8, I feel like, if that ending battle had been better executed. Mm. Uh, Because I feel like that's really the only big blemish on the movie, as far as, like, big noticeable things that are, you know, worse than the rest of the movie. Not not getting into, like, too nitpicky stuff, like some of the acting or the editing, you know, disregarding that kind of stuff. But yeah, I definitely, I think I'd put it around a a 7.5 overall. Gotcha. For me, I'm also like in that ballpark, probably about a seven and a half out of ten. I yeah, overall I think it was a pretty good movie. No like major flaws with it. I feel like the pacing was like pretty good. Good plot that was set up. There's a compelling mystery, solid ending. Uh, that you know one like climactic battle felt a little anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, w- I wouldn't say there was anything in the movie that, like, wowed me. I didn't think, it, it, like, it had, like, a... It didn't have that special, like, wow factor. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's just, like, a good movie overall, so... I'll say, like, maybe between a 7 and a 7.5, or, like, closer to 7.5. Nice. Alright, and we're also gonna mention which movie we like more. Out of the ones we picked, Collateral and Dark City. For me, I do prefer Collateral a little bit. I just feel like Collateral like hooked me a little bit more with its plot. It also had like action, which I re- I just really like action. Dark City was more of like you know a straight like mystery, sci-fi, neo-noir type movie. Yeah, I just felt like. The, I found the plot in Collateral a bit more compelling. I also really like the action in that one. Yeah, I would say that one over uh, Dark City for me. For me, I'd probably 
say Dark City over Collateral. Uh, collateral is, like you say, it definitely hooks you. It's got that like breakneck pace that pulls you in. And uh, the dynamic between Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx is really well done. They play off each other very well, and those are like very fleshed-out characters. However, I do find Dark City a lot more visually interesting just to watch as a cinematic experience. I prefer the, the visual flair that Dark City brings to the table. And even if I would agree that the plot isn't quite as compelling on its own, I do enjoy the more like philosophical themes and ideas that Dark City kind of brings. I got you. Versus the more straightforward character-driven uh, plot of Collateral. Right. So overall, I think Dark City would edge out for me, although I do enjoy both of them similarly. They're, 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 they're very uh, close in rating for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like Dark City just kind of edges it out. Yeah, that's fair. All right, and I think that's going to do it for this episode of the As Of Yet Unnamed podcast. We're going to try to make this a series, maybe watch some more movies and put them head to head yeah. and uh, maybe come back at you with another episode in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was fun. You know, I enjoy both movies, so yeah. definitely a good idea. Yeah, fun to watch. It'll definitely be interesting once we get further into it. I think we're going to try to theme each episode. We didn't really go into this one with that idea, but uh, Parth brought Collateral and kind of brought up like the noir influence of that movie, and I thought it would be cool to like bring another noir-tinged film to the table to compete with it. Well, I think we're going to try to keep the theming going forward. Pick a, pick a theme for each head-to-head episode. But I think that'll about do us. Hope y'all are doing well, and have a nice night. Yep. Catch you guys next time. See you.